Welcome to a football show, Victory Monday edition on a gorgeous afternoon here at the Pharmacy in East Nashville on McFerrin Avenue Boulevard. I'm not sure which one it is. It doesn't matter. It's a Victory Monday over here at the Pharmacy Beer Beer Garden and Burger Parlor. Of course, Zach and Braden. We have lots to discuss, lots to celebrate. The Titans have gotten their first win of the season, and the Tennessee Volunteers have gotten their first win, second win over Florida in 20 years since I was in college. So it is a victory Monday here at the pharmacy on a football show. How are we doing, sir? We are doing Cheers. good. I am drinking a special rotating draft, I would assume, uh, Master Gal's Baby Jasmine. Ooh. And it says here in Chinese script down here, that if I steal this class, this glass, I will be prosecuted for child abduction because it's a baby jasmine. So uh, that seems a bit harsh, but the glass is awfully awesome. Yes, it is a cool glass. And for those of you who are watching, which of course you'd be watching on the YouTube and the Twitter sphere and the Facebook page, make sure you turn all those notifications on because that is how you watch the show live and in real time. Or if you're watching us on YouTube, of course, you can see this fantastic glass that is apparently if you steal it, punishable by law. Now, my wife is very good at stealing glasses. I make her do all of that. Not that it's ever happened before. But if it were to happen, my wife would steal allegedly. This, my wife would steal this glass and then would get turned over to the to the authorities for stealing a wonderful glass. I am drinking a Funkstata. I believe I got that right. Funkstata, a German half here. Of course, this is a beer garden and burger parlor here at the pharmacy. So we are celebrating. We've got, of course, special thanks to Weiss Liquors and to Kingston Group for sponsoring the show. But if you're going to come out on a Victory Monday and it's going to be gorgeous with a light breeze and some warm sunshine and you're going to come back here like these wonderful, amazing people are behind us eating all these burgers. It's packed here on a Monday. Great place to take the family. Great place to get a work lunch. Come out to the pharmacy, dude. This weather is amazing to celebrate a Titans victory. I woke up a little bit chill in the air, kind of too cold to sit there and wait for Huxley outside to you know finish his business. And so I kind of stood at the door. But that's that's what I like. I like to be a little cold. House always stays at 68 degrees even through the winter times. Oh, we, we are, we're the same way. And uh, right now, you couldn't have not have asked for better weather, especially after the weird hot weekend it's been for the last few yes. days. So especially yes. starting on Thursday or last Monday, we were sweating our balls off here. <laughs> Come to the pharmacy where you no longer... No have ball sweaty sweat. balls. <laughs> come, come to the pharmacy. No, listen, they have a great beer selection. Again, where are you going to find a Funkstata and a Chinese jasmine? What's it called? Jasmine ale? Ja uh, beer. Jasmine Where's it going to call it? It's not jasmine beer. Jasmine beer. It's it's and an, a Funkstata. It's ale-ish. They also golden have, ale. They also have their own uh, German pills, which was put together by Bearded Iris. So locally sourced German pills for a German beer garden and burger parlor. It is a fantastic place to come grab a lunch especially now that the weather has broken and we are in back to being a normal community and society. Here. We hope. And we hope, yeah. Knock on this uh, beautiful bar here. All right, lots to discuss. We'll do some rapid-fire SEC stuff a little bit later on. The Tennessee Volunteers are off the schneid against Florida, so we can celebrate that, discuss what the future holds for Tennessee, Hendon Hooker, and the Florida Gators as well. But, of course, we have to begin with the Tennessee Titans and their first win of the season. Before we do that, however, we need to also remind folks of the Kingston Group, BuildKG.com, Nashville's locally owned, award-winning custom home and remodeling firm. They also are a proud supporter of a football show. Make sure you check them out. And Weiss Liquors. They drink. Wait a minute. You drink so they can drive. Yes. There you go. Uber Eats, Weiss Liquors, the booze right to your house in as quickly as 20 minutes. Stop on in. Say 440 at the register, and you'll get 10% off. That's tax-free booze. All locally owned companies, Zach. 440 local. Your local, Broadway Sports Media local, F-Words Pod local, football shows local. All of our sponsors and advertisers are locally owned and operated here in Nashville by Nashvillians and for Nashvillians. Now, Tennessee Titans have achieved victory. Are you willing to apologize for all of the moaning and bitching you did on Thursday's episode? No. Okay. Why would I? What did they show yesterday that I should? They got a W. So, like I said. The end of the world is not, not happening. It's 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 over for this team. That has not changed. <laughs> the, the, this win means nothing. It's a moral victory. The the season is saved. Bullshit that's going on on Twitter and on in my inbox from the Athletic. The season is saved. Is it? I mean, they can still go one and seven, sixteen. They can still only get two wins. They are still right now number five. They're the fifth highest team with the with it they're the fifth team with the highest chance to get the number one picks yeah i saw that 
not not good statistics. But here's yeah. the deal: they went from a six percent chance to make the playoffs if they had lost on Sunday to the Raiders to a thirty one percent chance. So statistically, the season the season was by definition saved. Mm. By a two-point conversion stop, we will get I to mean, the second I guess half. it's, uh, again, it's where you rank on the importance of participa- participation I, I, trophies. Don't, see, don't put that on me. I am anti-participation I, I mean, well. in general, if people are big on participation trophies, yesterday, Victory Monday. I beat my daughter today, at Uno. Victory I beat my five-year-old at Uno, and I make sure she shakes hands and says, good game, Dad, when I beat her. Like, yeah. she, she takes the loss. Like, if, if you're going to... There's no such thing as participation trophies, but there is such a thing as statistical odds and probabilities of making playoffs versus getting first overall picks. And that changed significantly with a big stop on a two-point conversion play. We will get to the second half because that is, to your point about how things haven't changed a ton, they haven't, that that second half is going to be a big conversation a little bit later on in the show. However, with your starting left tackle done for the year, your top two pass rushers out for the season or out for a while – your, your other pass rusher, you're down to your fourth and fifth pass rusher. Your offensive line is large question marks. You're missing a whole lot of other pieces. We'll get to Farley as well. To somehow figure out a way to dominate yet another first half and then to somehow figure out a way to find victory in the NFL, it's, it doesn't matter how it looks. It doesn't matter what happens at the end of the Sunday, at the end of the weekend. you got to have a win, and the Titans are one and two, and now have a 31% chance of making the playoffs instead of a 6% chance of making the playoffs. So maybe they did technically save the season on Sunday. No, I just don't buy it. Like, to me, it's, again, it just goes back to participation trophies. What is a save season for a team that had Super Bowl aspirations? You, you did not save the season. You are not meeting your own team's, your own GM's words, your head coach's words. You are not meeting those expectations. They, I'm sure it may be 30% chance to make the playoffs, which I still am very doubtful that that's true. I don't know where that number has come from. You're the first person I've heard say it. So I'm not too oh, you're sure. Just doubting it because it's me? Well, I mean, I just haven't seen anybody say it. So I just, you know, <laughs> I'm just saying this is the first I've heard that it goes from 6% to 3% because you're one and two. I don't know what all goes into that, but the Jaguars are looking pretty good there at two and one. So we'll see. <laughs> DT Good says, I'm here to. See if Zach is still committing suicide. If he's primed for self harm, no. I mean, like <laughs> I, like I said, I wasn't. I'm not gonna. You know, to me, they showed nothing but improvement. They just came across a worse uh, coach, a worse coach team than they are. Hard to argue with the McDaniel's thing. Yeah, I, I, Mike Vrabel. Here, he's five and twenty five, yeah. or five and twenty in his last twenty five games. This is a video, so those of you watching, Mike Vrabel here, Josh McDaniel's here. Yeah. when it comes to coaching quality, I agree with that. Um, so let's get to some of the good, the start of the game, of course. And again, the win does statistically change the, the outcome of the season for now. Again, that could change next week, but for now. And so let's start about we'll start with the good. Derrick Henry, three straight touchdown drives to start this. Not Derrick Henry altogether, but, but three straight touchdown drives open the game to script. And now they have done very well with their opening scripts. I'm sure you think Tim Kelly has something to do with that, but whoever's responsible, the Titans have been excellent coming out of the gate with opening scripted drives, scoring early against the Giants, dominating the first half against the Giants. They actually were playing quite well against the Bills in the first half until the dam broke in the final minute. And then three straight touchdown drives, which I believe was as many touchdowns as they had scored the entire season. One more. One more. So what's the what's the big difference between the between last year and this year? Uh what like oh, you mean <laughs> Who might be involved in the offense? Yeah, just just saying. Dennis Daly. Yeah, Dennis Daly is the big difference. I just well, you asked. Yeah. So so let me ask you: Who do you give the credit for when it comes to this offense clearly being prepared better than they were last year to come out and execute drives, dominate first halves? It, it wasn't domination against Buffalo, but it was against the Giants and it was against the Raiders. I, I think this first half stuff, it, the, this it's kind of hard. You can't really pin blame or you can't really pin success success yeah. on opening drives. Because if we're talking strictly on opening drives, you can only just assume there is only one big difference on these opening drives between last year and this year. And the, the, the opening drives, the, Dennis Daly, the opening drives do look drastically different in how they are executed, in how they are called compared to the rest of the game. Yep. So Todd Downing is technically putting in these opening game scripts, which last week he said 
Well, that's a, like a misnomer. Game scripts are apparently a misnomer, is what he basically alluded to. Like they, that they, seems odd. Yeah, he's he's the an odd person. Thing, Todd, the one thing we can give you credit for is the opening scripts, yeah. and then you told us not to worry about. Yeah, the not to worry scripts. about it. it it's it, to me, it's that kind of tells me everything right there. That <laughs> I I think that Tim Kelly is heavily involved in the game script process as well as the passing game, which has shown a rebound as well. Things that have improved and shown rebound, and then once you get away from the opening game script. It is pretty much almost complete and utter chaos. So I don't to me, yeah, to yeah. me, that's just like evidence that points to probably Tim Kelly's involved in the opening game script, and then yeah. he lets Todd Downing do Todd Downing things. Doesn't mean that Todd Downing's not helping on the game scripts and having input. I just think that Tim Kelly's word or play designs in the passing game have improved drastically enough to yep. improve the opening drive. 12 plays, 75 yards, touchdown. 6 plays, 75 yards, touchdown. 8 plays, 79 yards, touchdown. Derrick Henry with 14 touches for 106 yards and a touchdown on those first three drives. He, was, he looked like the Derrick Henry we sort of expected him to grow into. It was never panic time with Derrick Henry, but it was time to say, hey, what do we think about this? And there are still major questions about this offensive line, especially right. with now we, we were not on the air when we got the news, of course, that Taylor Lewan's out for the season. So this well, is our it first was expected. Chance. Like it, it was kind of expected. I, let, let's be honest here. That little that little move that that he, you know, yeah. put it off all all week long. As so busting with the boys could break it. Well, sure, which I have no problem with because he's like again. I don't know. Just put us out of our misery, I guess. If it's your like, career though, on. you want to control the, the news. Yeah. I'm fine I'm fine with that. I mean, just don't stretch it out. Uh, I agree with that. Trauma queen. Tim, Tim says, uh, Tim Dodge says, who is Mitchell and why does Vrabel love him? Uh, we will get to Caleb Farley and Terrence Mitchell as a part of this conversation, but we have not yet con converted to the negative side of this story. We still have lots of positive things to talk about. Uh, I want to say this at the start of it, because Derrick Henry is a part of the positive, but I do want to say that like the game plan to get the ball out of Ryan Tannehill's hands quickly because the offensive line was a concern. The ball, the game plan to get Derrick Henry the football early and in more creative ways was interesting. But also borderline almost disastrous. Almost. <laughs> the idea that you just, if you want first downs or touchdowns, you throw the ball to Jeff Swain. I've been yeah. saying it all summer. All summer. All he does is all catch star. touchdowns and first downs. That's all, all, all he pro. does. Listen, he does. Jeff Swain is going to be a Tennessee Titan for the next 10 years, <laughs> and he's going to have... For over his Titans career, 250 yards and 25 touchdowns. <laughs> because One touchdown for every eight yards. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's what it's going to be. No, right, the point I'm making, Ryan Tannehill was very good. Yes. Ryan Tannehill was in control. I think one of the things that I've always... R Ryan Tannehill's been good yeah. all season long. Yes, he has. And one of the things I've always wanted to see from Ryan Tannehill was in the face of bad offensive line issues, which he had all of last year with all the mm -hmm. sacks, is his personal adjustment. Don't let the coaches dictate when you should adjust. You need to be the quarterback who makes the adjustment, whether that's pre-snap or post-snap. And I think this season, in particular this game, I saw a Tannehill who was like, remember the Jets game last year where they were mm -hmm. bringing like zero blitzes and they were still running seven-step play-action drops? Yeah. They didn't, there was no adjustment there from anybody, Downing or Tannehill. This game felt like whoever's in charge, I think Tannehill eventually has the ball in his hands, I believe, that, that Tannehill was prepared to make the plays he needed to make, executed them very well. He is one of the least concerning parts of this football team right exactly. now if not the if not the bottom of the list and and i will also throw out there that i agree with you on this because i've noticed first off we've heard all off season about his he's him being more vocal which i don't know necessarily if that's technically true because you got to remember there are off seasons where media was not involved in the training camp and what is it what does that even mean yeah sometimes? but this game in particular and i feel like at the giants game as well that he was more vocal pre-snap at the line. Yes. And so I totally agree that I think that he's got a better command of this uh, offense to a certain degree. And I think that when you really get down to it, Ryan Tannehill is still super efficient. The numbers back it up. He's still great in play action, even though it now seems that the trend is instead of being 30% above play action, that you need to be above 40% of play action okay. to get a win. I, I just think that right now... They are, to me, I look at it this way, and then people are going to call me crazy, that I think that if Henry isn't great, Ryan Tannehill can still win you a game in the regular season. I, mean, I, 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 don't, I, think I don't think that's crazy. I think people need, because you hear these anonymous GMs. Playoffs. You yeah. said regular season. Yeah. Anonymous GMs, anonymous coaches come out and they say, well, if you stop Henry, nobody should be scared of Ryan Tannehill. 
I think that's a false thing to say this particular year. Last year, totally get it. Because, I mean, you you shut down the running game last year with those weapons that they fielded for like 11 games. Yeah, no doubt that yeah. that that is probably true. This is a totally different team. Uh, question here. Y'all think they should keep Robert Woods at punt returner from Donnie. Tim says the only person I'm concerned less about than Ryan Tannehill is new punter Ryan Stonehouse, who I believe is averaging like 57 yards a punt and leading the NFL. So yeah. obviously the right move to move on from fan favorite. Brett Frable Brett said today, Curry, I'll but... take 70 yard punts all day long. <laughs> yes, as as one should. Um, so there is lots of stuff to be excited about. I but thought... isn't it the same stuff that we've been saying isn't the issue? Like, what is something in your opinion? Because I can't think of anything. So help me out here. Okay. Well, I, I got one thing, and we well, could... I think more. I think offensive, like this is this was not a good offensive team in the first half last season. They were yeah. very very good in the red zone as well, both on offense and defense against the Raiders. They they were very good at keeping the Raiders out of the end zone and went three for three on touchdowns in the red zone, which is something historically this team has been very good at. I think they spread the ball around in the passing game better this first half than I've seen in the first two games. Yeah, I, I was going to say is yeah, I, I, I think that one thing that has changed that has been, hasn't been present in other games that I think you could hang your hat on that's something new, because I don't really feel that all that's that new to me, or unexpected, okay. is something... So, a negative turn positive. I think... Not all the way there yet. I think Derrick Henry is getting back to form. Now, okay. now I'm, I'm on board with that. I don't think that we'll see league leading rusher Derrick Henry, but I think we will stop seeing 2.2, 1.9 yards per carry Derrick Henry in a game on a per game basis. I, I think he's getting more comfortable getting there, getting charged up, char revved up. So I think that is a positive, but does that mean it changes anything about the outlook of the entire season? No, no, I but I think. And this goes to to what I was trying to get at, which is Robert Woods was clearly more involved. Um, they got Derrick Henry more involved in the passing game. He was those are the top two receivers on the team this mm -hmm. past weekend, and largely Henry's all of his stuff happened early in the game on those first three drives where they scored touchdowns. So I think the thing that getting Henry more involved more creatively and getting Robert Woods more involved are two things that have not happened this season. I think those are things that happened against the Raiders. Now some of that is the Raiders are zero three, the only zero three team I think in the AFC. So it, there's some of that's situational dependency but to go to him early throwing him the football and to get robert woods involved who by the way is looking healthier and healthier every game i that's different to me because normally they would line up and run derrick henry on first and second down like they did in the second half yeah which we'll get to yeah so to me i, I agree with you like my big takeaway from this game was more of the same issues those issues have not been put to bed the only thing that's really changed in my mind that drove success and drove success in that first half was that Derrick Henry yeah. looked closer to original pre-injury Derrick Henry. And and I will say this. When when Taylor Wan goes out on the first play. So that's your game, one positive you get. There you go. For me. <laughs> Stoney Keeley says, I hope you guys are ready for offensive coordinator Jeff Swaim in five years. <laughs> well, heck, Taylor Lewan was on the uh, sidelines coaching with the yeah, headset, yeah. the offensive line. So, you I, know, maybe Jeff's, maybe that's Jeff Swaim's bread and butter. I do think this is something that happens in the NFL that doesn't really happen in, like, college football very much, which is when a backup player is be, comes into the game midway through a game or one play in Taylor Lewan's case versus starting the entire week and practicing – I think that does make a difference. I think I'm still worried about running the football to the left side of the line. Well, it's atrocious. It's bad. You want to you want to you want to hear the stats? But daily and and NPF, I think NPF's getting a, a little bit better. I just think NPF to me is getting worse. But that, it's also the quality of competition versus that's the true. the Giants. So let me two, say two really good worse is very relative in this in this in this <laughs> yes. statement. Tim, what I'm trying, I guess, what I'm trying to land is coming in on the second play of a game is different than spending the entire week as right. a starter. And that is just a different thing. And the, I would assume the hope is, is that Daly gets better and better as the season goes along, more comfortable. Well, they traded the a fifth-round pick for him. Uh, right. So, you know, when, when you're talking about this kind of stuff, like, Daly has expectations. And now, listen, one hurry, he had uh, not a very good run-blocking grade. They're, they're, not, they're not Run left is dead. Yeah, it's not a good Run not left good. is dead. This year, 18 attempts, 40 yards, 2.22 yards per carry, a fumble, and no missed tackles on the left side. Mm. So, and then if you go up the middle, 
surprisingly enough, that's actually the middle, better. The middle is where they've been the best, yeah. I feel like. And it's 75 yards, 5.77 yards per carry, four missed tackles, one touchdown, and 4.62 yards well, after contact per attempt. Who are your best two offensive linemen? Well, it's definitely... I. It's Davis I, and Jones. I'm, I'm going to disagree and say it's Davis and MPF. It will be Davis and MPF. I Right now, Ben, ben Jones in the run game. Yes, and Bre- I agree. And Brewer in the run game, not in pass pro. But those three inside, that's your that a gap on the right side of the center is going to be your best place to run the football for yeah. now. I like to believe I'm with you. I think MPF is going to get better as it goes along. I think, I think you're looking at a run right situation from here on in. Okay. I don't think that the combination of Brewer and Daly is going to get you back up to snuff. Not to say that you can't get by with Daly. I just think that run left may be over. And frankly, and that's probably what people are expecting too, right? Yes, you, yes. I mean, you got it on a fucking hat. It says run the damn ball <laughs> it, it, and it run is, left. It is on the hat. Uh, what are you going to do? Yeah. Uh, I will say offensive line play in general, still possibly the biggest concern for this team. But the fact that Crosby and Jones did not really tee off well, I will say this: Jones football, should be expected because if you listen to Music City Audible, and they had two episodes last week, they had Marcus Mosher, who covers the Las Vegas Raiders. I was about to say Oakland, the Las Vegas Raiders, and basically what he said and what has been written on SilverAndBlackPride.com, Chandler Jones is a bust for them so oh, wow. far. So they are totally all the way out. Well, he was on this on Chandler Jones. He's been moved around the league a bit. Now he had the great game last year here for the Cardinals. And then that was pretty much it. I mean, he yeah. maybe had one or two sacks after that. The, the, these last few years, Chandler Jones is not who the Chandler Jones in Arizona. Uh, who was where was was he still in Arizona the whole time? He, well, he started in New England, right? New yeah, England, but then, Arizona, but then he went to Arizona. Yeah. Um, but anyway, yeah. I, here's a couple other positives. Uh, you do not want Rashad Weaver playing that many snaps. But pretty good player. Uh, get I his ass in the shape. He's gonna, <laughs> he's gonna, he's gonna slowly get better and better. Uh, Christian Fulton being back and being healthy on the field played up every snap at one. That's a positive sign for this team in a big way. Because a little, little nerve wracking though when he went down with that it, injury. Well, it, was, it looked like a cramp, but that, yeah. Well, that's, that's what I, I don't know if it ever got confirmed. So what the problem with the defense is, and we'll get to some of this, but. When you see the snap counts and you see 100% for Bayard, 100% for Hooker, you know, 99% for Jeffrey Simmons, plus a few sep- special team snaps. It, 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 there, David Long is 100% snaps. Mm-hmm. There's about five guys right now that are going to carry this defense until the other guys get back. And those, because now Cunningham's hurt as well a little bit. We'll, we'll see what that turns out to be. But you're basically depending on your two safeties, your middle linebacker, Simmons and Autry. And if any of those five guys from now goes down, then you're starting to talk about some trouble. But those five guys were very good. And then Weaver was pretty good. And then Fulton coming back was was a good sign as well. Yeah. Uh, Fulton and McCurry didn't have their best days. I think it's statistically on a per-game basis, I think this was obviously, I think, Roger McCreary's worst day as far as yards allowed, catches allowed, right, et cetera, et cetera. And I think it may be Fulton's worst day because he was kind of high up there on the on, on all that as well, according to PFF. Um but regardless, not their best days, but they weren't the problem. The problem <laughs> well, can is... I, can we say one thing? Because I know where you're about to go yeah. here with the problem. The offensive line and the pass rush are the two biggest concerns on this team because of injuries. Right. It's it's about injuries. It's not having Ola, Bud, and Harold Landry. It is not having Taylor Lewan and a rookie. And like it's an offensive line and, and Raidens and all the stuff we talked about for months yeah. about the offensive line. Those are the two biggest concerns for the team moving forward, but those a lot of that is injury-related, particularly on the defensive side of things. Where we're about to go now is not injury-related. No. This is picking a player up off of somebody else's practice squad on a Wednesday and thinking that is a better option for you for all but one snap than Caleb Farley, your former first-round draft pick, Terrence Mitchell, who got beat pretty handily. I want to say six catches for 102 yards of Mac Holland's catches were directly in yeah, four four for eighty yards were roughly eighty yards were and I've seen higher number, and I've seen higher than that on well, he's, he's, versus uh, Mitchell yeah so Terrence Mitchell that was the issue I don't really blame Terrence Mitchell honestly for this because he's a practice squad player that you pick up on Wednesday <laughs> who just got on the team who you put in man to man coverage and isolated the entire game because you were game planning to stop Adams and Waller on the other side of the field and Jacobs which you did a pretty good job of holding in check for most of the game. You were you were clearly saying to us, we're going to let 
Mitchell, guard this guy, your third and fourth option. And if you beat us with him, fine. And he made some big plays down the field and almost won the game. The question is, why is the, the guy you picked up off the practice squad from the Patriots on Wednesday a better person for that role than Caleb Farley? Why does this team not trust Caleb Farley? I, I think there, there's something wrong, inherently wrong with the way the staff views its own players. Because there's because here here's what I, I had take issues with. Today, Monday, Mike Vrabel was on a press conference and he said, it's all about knowing the playbook, knowing your assignments, executing, executing, play. No, 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 no this, no that, no this. You're telling me that a guy that you picked up off the practice squad on Wednesday who started practicing on Thursday, so Thursday, Friday, and I guess you're off Saturday, right? who practiced for two days, knows the playbook better than your first-round pick. If that is the case, then Caleb Farley may be, and I don't believe this, may be the dumbest player ever. Because there's no way that Terrence Mitchell can pick up the playbook and execute the plays, because yeah. he didn't, on short week and notice. And if Caleb Farley, who is your number one pick, who has all the talent and upside in the world, who has allowed less catches, and less yards in through three games where he's played similar amount of coverage snaps than the guy that you're replacing him with, and he you say that he's not mentally ready, I think that's a staff issue. Okay, so let me, I want to say one thing about the role that they were asking Mitchell to play, which to me wasn't very playbook dependent. It was, you are going to mark that guy in isolation coverage the mo most of the game. So it was, it was, and this I'm playing devil's advocate here yeah. because I agree with almost everything you're saying. And I, it, I think it's an indictment of Caleb Farley's readiness. I think it's an indictment of the coaching staff and, and either not getting him ready and their, their lack of trust in this particular and player. An indictment of John Robinson. And, and, indictment of John, forget, and, yeah. and if it's, and if it is about Farley not being able to do this stuff, then it's on John Robinson. So I, I just want to say the only thing I can think of outside of just lack of trust, which is clearly the case, we don't know the specifics is that they were asking this player to do a very specific thing and that maybe this guy happened to be slightly better at this one thing than Caleb Farley. I just we don't can't know believe it, though. You know, like, I, I, and I, I, and I agree. I think that's what they think. That's what they think. I, I agree. That is what they think. I vehemently disagree. Do not agree at all whatsoever that it, even at his worst, Farley would have done the same thing. Okay, at his worst, at a slightly better version of Terrence Mitchell, he's more athletic. No, no, I and he he's so physical on the boundary. And where was he making catches? Of, was on, on the, the boundary? Yeah. yeah, yeah, right there where Caleb Farley has known. We've seen it. We've seen him preseason. We've okay. seen in a few regular season games. He's been able to basically run his man because he's so physical and long to a point where he can't really make that catch. So, so. Let's say all the things I said were true. That yeah. They only wanted him to do. They only wanted Terrence Mitchell to do one thing, and he specifically might do that one thing better than Caleb Farley. Which leads us to a very specific question: of why isn't Caleb Farley better at Terrence Mitchell at that one thing? And that's the you're talking about the boundary. And so, no matter what the answer is, the the no matter what the question is or the answer, it is about this coaching staff not trusting Caleb Farley to make the play. So now we get to why. Why isn't that the case? And we don't need to go down this path. This is what I don't like about sort of the national media conversations around this and even some local, which is you don't have to clear your throat with, oh, he hasn't played a lot of corner. He hasn't played a lot of football. He got hurt. He had a back injury towards ACL. We, we know all the context. We know all the quarterback, receiver, recruit, turned into corner, played one year, sat out a year from COVID, then towards it. We don't have to go down that path and re rehash all of that stuff. It's proper context, but it's not it's necessarily important. we don't. That's not everything it's the it's important context but i think everybody knows it now yeah, like we don't right. have to why are you not prepared to start as like the fourth corner on this team when you were a first round pick two years ago and i whatever that answer is the only people that know that are john robinson mike Vrabel, shane bowen and caleb parley and probably the defensive backs coach but why the question is why and i'm not ready to go bust yet i don't think that's fair i think we need more time but are we going to get that time see that's what, that's where what, i'm what at. Are we doing well, see, that's what I'm trying to figure out about this staff is 
when are we going to find that time for Caleb Farley to play considerable amount of snaps on a consistent basis? So are you saying you would have preferred to just see what he could do and then be told definitively that it wasn't? Yeah, I okay. mean, okay. because because right now I, I can't trust this staff blindly and say that he's he can't do what Terrence Mitchell did. Okay. Okay. I, mean, I, mean, I, I agree with you. So. Yeah. Well, and let me ask you. It's hard to. Right. It's hard to figure it all out, honestly. See, that's that's where I'm at because I look at it this way. You know, it's on the staff to get these guys prepared. And to me, it's almost like if the Titans see you struggle with the playbook, they are the opposite of no child left behind. They are leaving you behind. They're turning their focus to other people. They do not have time to teach and coach yeah. you. Yeah. In the regular yeah, season. It's not personal. You either do your job yeah. or you don't. And, and and I look at it this way. You could talk about not knowing the playbook. I could read a recipe. And it may take me six or seven times to actually nail the recipe on certain <laughs> things. Right. Like a beef wellington, I would not expect to come out of the gate. I've <laughs> never cooked a beef wellington and cooked the most perfect beef wellington <laughs> that would make Gordon Ramsay not call me a fat York, cow. Yorkshire pudding. Yeah. It's going to take a few shots. But my, thing, my point is, is that, but with repetition... I can get there. So where does the repetition for Caleb Farley come into play, especially when you yeah. can only do so many things in a regular season during a practice week? Yeah, they don't they don't have any like, you don't get reps right during practice in the, in the at, regular at season. At some point, it's it's kind of like with Dylan Raidens, even though that Dennis Daly is doing well at so far one game. Well ish. Well ish. That at some point you draft these guys, play the guys to figure it out what it is. Because you know. It doesn't work out all the time, right? I'm not saying that, okay, you play Caleb Farley, he's going to live up to his first yeah, round draft, yeah. but you're not giving him a fair shake. You're not giving Dylan Raidens a fair shake to even practice to me does not equate to on field. And specifically, Titans players who practice really well oftentimes blow the game. Well, <laughs> like, not a, I, I would say it, it, it matters in camp. It's not a great indicator. When you're full padded up and you yeah. can hit, when in the NFL, people that don't know, you can't wear pads. And we're talking pads like 11 times. And I know we're not supposed to get in the snap thing because it's already been said. But that still plays into this whole thing is all I want to say is that it plays yeah. into the whole thing. He's got to find a way. They got to find a way to find him more than one coverage snap just because Christian Fulton went down that one play. Here's one thing we say about coaches all the time. It's more applicable in college, and we're going to talk about the Vols' big win and some SEC stuff in a little while because I do want to end with some positivity here on the show. Um, but it's if your job as a coach is not just to like develop, teach, mold, lead, motivate, all that stuff. It's also to change your own ways to fit the people and the personnel that you have so that you can maximize their skills, even if they don't do the exact thing that you want them to do. I love, I'm like, right? like that's the yeah. job of mostly on offense, but that is the job of a coach is to, they have a system and a philosophy and the job is to tweak little things so that you maximize strengths and you minimize weaknesses. Give me five players that they've drafted under Mike Vrabel five, because they've drafted a lot under Mike Vrabel. Give me five that he's developed. I can, I can name two. Can you name three more that he's developed? Beyond their their prospect profile, uh, I mean David Long's number one. Yeah, that would be an automatic uh, number. And it, number these one. are to varying degrees of success, but you're still talking about David Long, who is a fifth round draft pick. And he's a starting yeah. middle linebacker, right? Right. Nate Davis. Yeah, I would put those two on there. Um, specifically, developed Christian Fulton has gotten better, but it, now did, he got worse. But he was hurt. good to me. He, he was, was a first good. Round yeah, yeah, he was first okay. round greatish. Well, Kevin, I mean, does Kevin Byard count? Because he doesn't. No, well, not under Vrabel. Because he he was drafted in what 2016. Well, that was Vrabel would have been Robinson drafted 18. in the first year, and then Vrabel came in. Yeah. Um. Now I'm trying to overthink this because I think there's probably a lot a hooker. more players. Amani Hooker. Amani Hooker is one that's got, that's one that that's, that's gotten better. Through. Elijah Molden uh, has gotten better and is a, a well. Good, we some, still got to see what drafting. he is on year two. Um, Harold Landry has gotten better. Uh, as as he developed extra pass rush, moves. And he was kind of like a top. He's kind of like a Caleb um, Farley to me. He was a top fifteen pick. Oh, but not for the energy. Okay, so like I'm. I I'm, think there's it, more than you think. I think most players maybe. who come to Tennessee and play for Mike Vrabel and John Robinson are better than when they 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 leave better than when they got here. Almost everybody. I I think you could say that about a lot of the veterans that they bring in. I I'm specifically talking like you when you draft a player. I, I know what you mean. Now. You know what I'm saying, Chris you, Jackson. You, yeah, like when Chris Jackson. Sort of. But why can't you guys find a way to give Caleb Farley the snaps you gave Chris Jackson in his rookie year? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I 
I, I, I get your point. I just don't it, get why they have no patience for Caleb Farley, but have all the patience yeah, for other players. I, I have a hard time finding that line. I wonder if there's something, you know, having this conversation like this, because I've thought all this stuff too, like yeah. since the game. I'm wondering if there's there might be something we're missing, because the only real answer is that they don't trust him and that he's not good enough. But we know that the talent is good enough. Yeah. And there's no way a guy off the practice squad playing against a third receiver should be should be in that situation. Right. So why are we here? So I think the question is like, what and why are, are they continuing to look? Are we missing something? I think is the question, and maybe there's something we're missing that we don't know yet. And I don't. Maybe that's because worth the benefit of the doubt. I don't know. It that's bothers me that they're continuing to look outside of the organization, which means that you're getting lackluster free agents or more practice squad signings without a trade. So that tells me right there, why not shift your focus to the guys in your house and yeah. get them ready? So Stoney says Caleb Farley is the beef Wellington of cornerbacks. Is that exactly what? That's that exactly what you heard. Uh, Corey, this is a great question here because Corey Jackson says, uh, not, not related to Chris Jackson, uh, says that he might be in the doghouse. Now, I think this is a common thing that fans say when a player doesn't get playing time. Well, you got to remember that Julio Jones uh, fist fought uh, uh, Mike Vrabel last year. Remember that rumor that was coming out? Here's the thing about Mike Vrabel. It is no nothing is personal with Mike Vrabel. If, if you killed his dog, but you could do your job and make plays, I'm pretty sure he'd play you. Yeah. Like, I'm pretty sure it has nothing to do with any personal relationship if you're in I the mean, the guy's playing Jeff Swain. That, that tells you everything right there that you need to know. <laughs> if you're in the doghouse, it's not because of a personal reason. It's because you didn't do your job. Mm -hmm. So that is the, like, this is a meritocracy. Vrabel of all, the NFL is a meritocracy, but Vrabel is the ultimate meritocratic. Basically, mer yeah. Mer basically, what you're asking right <laughs> now is, and we don't have the answer. You're right. We don't have the answer. How much of it is, what's the percentage of it is on Farley? And what is the percentage of yeah, it on yeah. the staff not developing Farley? W would you be satisfied with 50-50 right now? If I said that, I, I wouldn't think, be I surprised. think needs to be better, but the staff needs yeah. to be better. I, I, think, I think that that's, yeah. I mean, I, okay. would I be happy? No, but would I understand it? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Uh, all right. Uh, before we move on to the second half issues, we still got to talk college football. Of course, reminder, we are live every single Monday. Hopefully, some more Victory Mondays right here at the pharmacy, drinking a Funkstatter German I just like saying that German Hef, and you just polished off a uh, uh, baby Jasmine, Master Gals, baby Jasmine, baby Master Gals, baby Jasmine. Of course, here at the pharmacy, it is a gorgeous, gorgeous Monday. I afternoon. have to say, it's the most unique tasting beer I've ever had. Like it, it tastes unlike any beer I've had across the this global continent, the global world, across the global continent, <laughs> global continent. <laughs> it's really good. It is very. I don't want to say very unique because my editor, I can hear my boss, my editor saying, you don't need the very if you say unique, yeah. it's redundant. Um, but it is it is a unique flavored beer. It's delicious. That's why you come to the pharmacy. You get lots of unique flavors. You got bratwurst. You got tots. You got burgers. You got all kinds of the stroganoff burger, by the way. Fantastic. The weather's starting to break. It's starting to feel a little bit more comfortable. So come on out for lunch. You can bring the kids, the wife, the family. It is a you can be out of here for less than 50 bucks with kids. They got a nice kids menu. And, of course, locally sourced beers and locally owned and operated since 2011 over here in East Nashville on McFerrin Avenue. So make sure you come on by the pharmacy. And if you want to come on by and heckle Zach on a Victory Monday when they win, I think you should. You'd be very cautious to come should. heckle me. I watch a lot. He heckles back. I watch a lot of uh, comedy specialists, comedians. But like at comedy the height, I, I say comedy specialist because they're at the height. They're not like is that, is that like a long snapper of comedy. Yeah, they're they're not like um, uh, Jeff Dunham of comedy. Yeah, those stand ups. Yeah, I'm talking about yeah. like like Larry the Cable Guy. Yeah, yeah no, no, not yeah, that, yeah. not that loser either. Um, We're gonna go uh, like Jared Carmichael and Dave Chappelle and yeah, I mean like Jerry Seinfeld. He can okay, get, Seinfeld. get with you with some heckling. Okay. Uh, right. Chris Rock, Bill Burr. I would say Bill that a good heckler, if, yeah. if you want to get heckled by Bill Burr, come on down and heckle me, motherfucker. Did you just compare yourself to Bill Burr? Oh, I am the Bill Burr Bill of Burr Nashville is... Sports Talk. Okay. All How right. about that? I don't I don't know what I think of that, actually. How about uh, that? We've got some college football stuff to get to uh, coming up in just a little while, so don't go anywhere. We'll talk Vols, and of course, uh, we'll talk Rapid Fire SEC, Arkansas getting, or A&M getting a big win over Arkansas. Remember to check out Weiss Liquors as well. Uh, Uber Eats, Weiss Liquors, the booze will come right to your house in as quickly as 20 minutes. If you pop in the store right there on Gallatin East, East Nashville, again, right there, again, locally owned and operated for almost 100 years, that will give you 10% off if you just say 440 at the register. It's, it's very simple. That's tax free booze. Just buy 440s, and then you can remember to say 440. That's. <laughs> 
that, that's one strategy. I don't know how long those forties last in the in the fridge, but go for it. Uh, and then, of course, what do we? Why do we want to Uber Eats the booze? You got to Uber Eats the booze because they drive, so you can drink. <laughs> we struggle so bad with a four-word tagline, and of course, the Kingston Group, BuildKG.com. Don't make any big decisions about your house. Major renovations, major projects. If you own a rental property and you want to renovate it, you want to do custom build, just have a conversation with the Kingston Group, buildkg.com. Again, locally owned and operating. It's a firm, not mm -hmm. a business. It's a firm. They're a nose-to-tail company. And, of course, also right here in Nashville, award-winning, all local companies supporting the 440 Sports Podcast Network, as well as all the Broadway sports media folks as well. So check out all the shows. Now, uh, what in God's name are they doing at halftime for the Tennessee Titans? So we know that they were 24 to nothing against Buffalo. I could tell you. Dumpster fire. I'm going to I'm setting you up here. Okay. This is a setup, Zach. I, 24 to nothing against Buffalo. All right? Destroyed. Completely destroyed. Two three and outs, two long touchdown drives for the Giants and the Titans coming out of the halftime break. Here were the halftime second half drives for the Tennessee Titans. Ready. Three plays, minus 1 yard interception. Nine plays, turnover on downs. Six plays, 29 yards, punt. Three and out, punt. 21 plays, 78 yards, zero points. Meanwhile, Vegas, 14-play drive, field goal. Then they went three and out. 50-play drive that ended with the interception in the end zone, so basically saved by Kevin Byard there. And I think Dylan Cole, actually, yes. I believe. Uh, a 6-7-play, 63-yard drive, field goal. 14-play, 81-yard drive, touchdown. Offense, defense, every aspect of this team has been terrible in the second half. They have been destroyed in the adjustment-making department. Tell me why. Because they keep Todd Downing employed through halftime. It's easy. I mean, it's just you fire him every week. Yeah. Oh, well, yeah. Or you halftime. could just fire him once and be done with it. Because if you look at Mike Vrabel's entire era of being a Titans coach, because I, I went and I was curious about this, they actually have gotten better, not only in EPA, expected points per attempt, so per play, and overall success rate in the second half. It's not just overall, it's they're better in the pass and run game in the second half throughout the entire Vrabel era. But if you look at 2021, and if you look at what's going on in 2022, they're entirely worse mm. in the second half. What is, I can't, I'm, I'm struggling here, Zach, to put my finger on what is different about 2021 and 2022 Titans offense and adjustments than before 2021. Could you remind me? Todd Downing. Oh, okay. It's easy. It's so such an easy thing to point <laughs> to because it's clearly the data. That's what the data is telling you. If it, I was expecting objectively when I went to look at the Vrabel era, I was expecting maybe this was a Vrabel issue the whole time, and then we just didn't really notice it because there were wins and the come they, behind they, they victories, lost quarters, you know, routinely. and all this stuff. You know, we just kind of, I just kind of thought maybe because they were close games that they lost, that maybe we just didn't notice it, right? that they kind of just spread out the scoring evenly. But it is a stark contrast because you're looking at second, third, and 11th in EPA. So second overall in the first half, an entire NFL currently, third in pass EPA, and 11th in rush EPA. So in, second overall offense in the first half. Yes, in the first half of games. From like an efficiency, efficiency metric, metric standpoint. standpoint. Yeah. Ner nerd stuff. Yeah, nerd yeah. stuff. Nerd yeah. stuff that matters. Nerd stuff's good. Yeah, I'm a big nerd. And then they dropped from second overall to 32nd, the last place team in efficiency <laughs> in the second half over three games. So they're basically the best. In the first and half. And then the worst. The right? worst. Literally the worst. And that's what you get when you're oh outscored 55 to 7 in the second half of games. 40, this is what 40, 40 to 7 in just the third quarter. Yeah, 40 to 7 just the third quarter. So it's ridiculous. And, and what they do is everything that works in the first drive Everything that works in the first half when it is working, because there were close games, because you talked about it. They had the lead in the Giants game. They were they really close the first in the, half of the Giants They game. were really close in the Buffalo game. So everything that they did, they become ultra conservative and forget all yeah. that. It's like yeah. it's like Todd Downing goes in there into the halftime in the locker room and he loses his playbook and has to pick up this random playbook that was left by a <laughs> high school coach that happened to be torn the facility. It's Ken Wisenhut actually. Yeah. If you open it up, it says K Wisenhut. Yeah. The, it's like he gets his playbooks mixed up because there's, there's no way it's, it's, at this <laughs> point, at this point, I can't say, it's well, he's <laughs> running Vrabel's offense. 
He is still running Vrabel's offensive philosophy. He's just doing it piss poorly in the second half, and it's Todd Downing. Uh, it, now, here's the question. The same players come out of the half. I know. Same everything. It doesn't make any sense to be number basically number two and number 32. It doesn't. It honestly doesn't make any sense. So the question I have, because you brought this up, and I'm starting to kind of – it's creeping into my brain. You've yeah. done this. You've, like, wormholed the Vrabel – top-down influence on the coaching staff that's just that's just how i handle everything i just want to wear you down (laughs) eventually everybody everybody agrees with me because i wear them down uh go to the pharmacy folks he's just going to tell you enough times and eventually you're just going to show up and be like oh my god this place is beautiful and amazing the burgers are spectacular and the beers are delicious they're from china it's great um (laughs) so i'm curious how much of that conservative especially in the two games they had the lead the bills is a different game that was just a the flood bakes the, the flood the, the dam breaks. Yeah. Excuse me. The dam breaks. And the, the, the other team the, makes the adjustment. You don't. They won. But the Giants game and the Raiders game, they had complete control and got super conservative. Mm-hmm. Now, what does that mean when you hear somebody say that? How do you explain that to somebody? I, I look at it this way. You're going to see a lot more run plays. You're going to see a lot more basic, predictable plays. Like, I don't think anything that they showed in the second half was as creative as what they were doing in the first half. Let's let's take the Oakland Raiders game, for example. Vegas. Yeah, the Vegas Raiders. Okay, that's, that's why I said I've heard it both ways. And <laughs> they, um, they, they are getting Derrick Henry out in space. They are trying to create opportunities for Robert Woods. They are using the leverage they created with Derrick Henry in the run game to open up intermediate rounds. Handing the ball to Traylon Burks in yeah. the first half, right? They, they were getting Traylon Burks involved, and then they all of a sudden go away from that. They, they don't have Traylon Burks involved in the second half. Uh, even though he's out on the field, they're not running plays to him. They're running plays to Jeff Swain. They're they're solely relying on Robert Woods and Nick Westbrook-Kine, which is fine. They were working. They were doing great stuff. But then you go away from it and you become predictable. The, the problem is it's, uh, it's essentially you're not run-run pass technically in the first half, and then you're all of a sudden run-run pass in the second half. Okay. And... The thing is that Vrabel's always been that way. They've always because he's a defensive head coach, so he always plays a little bit more conservative than you would see an offensive-minded head coach. But if you look at what happened in the Chiefs game, Patrick Mahomes got pissed at both Andy Reid and Eric Bieniemy because they went conservative and they ended up losing that game. Here, here's what I want to get to: is that the difference between Vrabel being having a conservative game plan in the second half when he gets the lead in? In 2018, 2019, and 2020, is that he had better play callers than what he has in 2021 and 2020. So he trusts them more. I don't know if he trusts right them more. I think that I think what it is is that you're seeing better designed, better called plays according to the script of the game. Like it better. Mm, you okay, have you okay, have okay okay, okay okay hold on okay. Here's here's a better way to put it. This is what I really meant to say. Two off, you have two offensive coordinators who have a better feel for the flow of the game than Todd Downing does. I think that's obvious. I mean, Not necessarily better play designers, because I do think Todd I mean, Downing's a little creative in some of the stuff he's doing. But I will say <laughs> that he he does not know how to call. Now, I, his life. ironically, Matt Lafleur got very puckered up and conservative yesterday in the second half, but it ended up in, in a victory. And Arthur Smith got his first win. So those are the two guys, of course, that, that you're referring to. Yeah. <laughs> um, here's the here's the real solution. I just figured it out. I just solved it. Jeff Swain. One second half target, six first half targets, five receptions, and a touchdown. Second half, three games, one Jeff Swaim target. They're going away from Jeff Swaim in the second half, and I think that's a real concern for this offensive coach. I play. I would like for them to see see them to go um, away from Jeff Swaim, but go to Chigakonkwu. I still uh, his do use, not understand. His under- usage is very strange, too. Yeah, uh, his usage is ridiculous, and I don't understand why they don't trust him. What, what has happened that Chig is not trustworthy considering what we, you've seen in practice, what people have laid their eyes yeah, on I know, to? I know, I know. And it, is he sleeping in team meetings? What is he Seems doing unlikely. that he's not seeing the field that he he's not getting I, targets and stuff? Like, so, I don't understand it. So with Kyle Phillips out, to me, that would have been an opportunity. To, oh, to great sh- opportunity to show more creativity with personnel packages. Because, yeah. because I know you and Mike Herndon have fought about this on Twitter. But Jeff Swain is your best tight end blocker of the three, sort of. By default, by default, he's the best blocker. But he's not great. Yeah. So, so he's he's, a, he's he's the best of a D minus group. Right. Even though technically, right. 
If you want to, and I had someone come and say, well, according to PFF, Jeff Swaim's the best blocker. And I said, well, according to PFF, Chig Okonkwu is the best blocker. So where's that? Where are you at now? To, to me, it's an oppor- it was an opportunity with the lead, without your slot receiver, without mm-hmm. Kyle Phillips, to be creative. Because you, what you want to do, and we knew the game plan was to get the ball out of Tannehill's fa- hands fast because of the offensive line issues. You were throwing it to Henry. You're throwing. You're you're handing the ball off to Burks. You're being creative. That is the that is an offensive situation where Chick Conklu is a good piece. We have spent 50 minutes talking about the Titans. I know we've way. got to talk about college football at some point. How about we just spend the last 10 minutes celebrating the Tennessee Volunteers? I like it. You want? Do, are we done with? Are we done with? NFL? I, I just want to say. This, I think the second half yeah. adjustments that has to be solved. You cannot that, be a first half team when, in the NFL when you have it happen three games in a row and it's, it's an apparent and visible it's a trend. Trend. That is a problem and issue, and that unless you're going to go up thirty something points on all these teams in the first half, yeah, you're setting happen. yourself up for failure. You have to get massive leads in the first half at this point, and that's hard for this team to do if they're you know going to lean a lot of their heavy, the lean heavily on the run game. One target for Jeff Swain in the second half in three games. Just saying, maybe they should go to him more often in the second half. Of football games. You want to talk some SEC football? I do. How you feeling, Big Orange Nation? How you feeling? Coach Josh for president. That's what I got youth, up on the YouTube. Youth pastor, Coach Dad Josh Heupel got the job done. It it ended in almost perfect Florida fashion. <laughs> it did. I was like, oh, man, UT oh. is going to choke this one away. But congratulations to the balls Hendon hooker exceptional game mm-hmm. absolutely a heisman candidate i think he still needs exactly to, i think he needs to beat either bama or georgia yeah bama comes to town in a couple of weeks even if they don't win it, it, the numbers would have to it, be the absurd. numbers have to be there right because yeah, tebow won a heisman without winning and it's ironic tebow won two national titles but the year when the heisman was in between robert griffin the third won a heisman without winning even a conference championship lamar jackson won a heisman without winning a conference championship you don't have to win I think the, the perception is that you have to have a team in the playoff or win the yeah. SEC to be a Heisman winner. Hendon Hooker doesn't need to do that. They could do it at 10-2, and two, but he's going to have to play extremely well against Bama and Georgia to do that. You can't just keep dominating right. teams that aren't ranked. Like Again, it was an exceptional performance. The monkey's off the back. The demons are exercised. All the things you want to say about Tennessee, they figured out a way to win. I, there's major questions on the defense. Uh, Billy Napier made some interesting decisions in the second half. And, of course, they recovered the onside kick and... <laughs> <laughs> just give everyone a heart attack in Big yeah. Orange Nation. But the bottom line is, for the second time since I was in college, I am 40 years old, and for the second time since I was in college, Tennessee can claim victory. I heard stories about the strip in Knoxville. Like, could not get in. It took hours to get into bars. Rightly so. Celebrate that victory. You get a week off. You're in the top 10. Coach Youth Pastor Dad Josh is has done the job. And there's a narrative switch happening here, but now he's got to follow it up with more wins against teams like Kentucky, also in the top 10. You got Bama and Georgia, South Carolina on the road. There's still some tough games coming up, but things are looking up for the Tennessee Volunteers. So, well, 12 team playoff would have been nice this year. Yeah. I, I think when you look at the games this weekend, you saw Georgia kind of like falter a little bit to Kent State, which was a little weird. Yeah, they played with their putt a little bit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And to me, I'm. I think Bama had a good get-right game against uh, Vanderbilt this weekend. Yeah, that was the best the passing offenses looked but for, for Alabama. I, I will say this. Hey, let, me, let me say this. UT, I, I said it in the year, I said they have the best shot of unseating Georgia. You did say that. Okay. As the number one seed in, in the East, I thought that they had a really good shot at that. And I still believe that. In fact, I'm willing to concede at this point that I think that UT, I think that if Alabama and UT had met last week, I think that UT would have won. And now... It's not too far away. I, I, yeah, no, it's, it's not in, too far it's, away. It's in Knoxville. Yeah. And the Vols will be surging into that game. Yeah. Bama's going to have to play Arkansas and A&M. Mm-hmm. We'll talk a lot about it on Thursday. Yeah. Arkansas-Bama uh, Arkansas, this week. You got Mississippi State A&M this week. You got Ole Miss-Kentucky this week. It's a great week for action. Tennessee's just going to be kicked back. Exactly. With their heels up in the top You 10, don't have the fear of a letdown game, yep. right? Because so they got the Florida emotional win at such a great time in the schedule. It was perfect because, like you said, they get to enjoy the win and enjoy – they get to get their emotions out, right? Because that's the biggest thing. When you have a game like that 
That's an emotional game with a lot of backstory. You're gonna you let typically down had yeah. to let down the week after, and now they don't. No, the, the way that they allowed Richardson to sort of go off script is the thing we talked about last mm -hmm. week would be the concern. That's still a concern because they did it all last year. The secondary is a major question. They gave up almost 600 yards of offense to Florida. The, the tackling, oh my God, the tackling in the fourth quarter was atrocious. So let's just not, let's, let's not go crazy. Right. There's two things working in Tennessee's favor, two major, major big things. A lot of the teams on their schedule that are up are not as up. Florida, LSU, South Carolina, they're down this year. They're winnable. Um, the other thing is, is that teams six through 40 in the rankings in college football are all pretty much the same. So there's a lot of upward mobility for Tennessee. If they can just get to that nine or 10 win range, they could be sitting at seventh or eighth in the yeah. rankings. And if they can beat one of them, which I'm not picking, but if they beat Bama, let's say Bama goes 11 and one and Bama and Georgia, they lose to Georgia. So they still don't play in the SEC championship game. 11 and one probably puts you at like fifth or sixth in the rankings which is outside. There's going to be a lot of losses in this in this college football season. It's very balanced. There's a lot of really good teams that are all about the same. The top three are the top three. But from Michigan to 40, it's all about the same, and that means there's a lot of opportunity for Tennessee to be good. Yeah, Hendon Hooker. Same thing for Arkansas and A&M and Kentucky yeah. and LSU and Florida and they Mississippi would, State. They would have won that game if they would have had Callaway, who was out. Yeah, Callaway, not Antonio Callaway. No, <laughs> caught the touchdown. Um, <laughs> oh, Cedric Tillman. Yes, yeah, Cedric yeah, Tillman. Cedric I don't Tillman. know why I said. Oh, Marquez Callaway caught a pass yesterday. Yeah, that's right. That's yeah, right. Cedric Tillman. So did, so did Jawan Johnson. But what, Callaway was the guy that got injured, right, or uh, suspended for the game. Cedric Tillman was out. Yeah, yeah, Cedric Tillman was out, but there was a defender Callaway. That oh got, yes, that yes. They they lost one of their top DBs. And but I was Washington. meaning Cedric Tillman. Sorry for it's apologies okay. on that. Okay. But no Cedric Tillman that game, and all these other receivers stepped up. They are deep at wide receiver deep enough that they can go toe-to-toe -to -toe with Alabama and Georgia on I, offense. I think I, I'm not I, saying that they I win. They, I think they can go toe-to-toe -to -toe on offense. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, I think you're right. I think you're and right about so that. When, when you're talking about the defense being a concern, it's only a concern if your offense turns into a concern versus these defenses. And right now, Hinton Hooker is doing such a phenomenal yes, job. He's been very good. And his Heisman odds went from 80 to 1 60 to one. Uh, he's like fifth or 40 to one. On and list. now he's like 16 to one. Yeah. He's like four, fourth or fifth or yeah. sixth on the list in terms of and I, betting. So now your, your I chance can't to believe get him I'm was, saying this. I'm buying into this UT team and I was I, bought in. I think, beforehand, you should. I, think you, I think you should. I think again, I had him at nine and three. Yeah. I, I thought LSU, Bama and Georgia were the losses. They get LSU in two weeks. They have two weeks to let the emotion of this die yeah. down. And then go down to Baton Rouge in two weeks. LSU's bounce, be super prepared. LSU's bounce back from that first week against Florida State. They're doing pretty good. They dominated New Mexico. They're going to get a big test this weekend where they're an underdog. They're an underdog, I believe, this weekend. So we'll we'll see what LSU does um, this weekend. Should be a lot of fun. Uh, obviously, the other big one in the SEC. So congratulations to Tennessee. Oh man, fantastic! Tennessee fans celebrate. You deserve it. You earned it. You waited twenty years for it. You got one other win against Florida. You broke some of that 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 jinx. Some of that that those demons are exercised. So then. Again, Arkansas and AM. Have you ever seen the did, did you see the play? So Arkansas is up 14 to 3. Oh, yeah. I saw the whole game. The whole game. So was he's wild. about to jump in. Yeah, I think you were texting me like I said, it's a roller coaster with this game. I have honestly never seen a game change on a singular play so early in the game than this, where KJ Jefferson dives from probably a little too far out to try to get into the end zone. The touchdown for Arkansas would have made it 21 to 7. Instead, it's a fumble. One guy for AM picks it up, yep. makes it about 30 yards. He's in the grass, then he hands it to another guy. The other guy goes 70 yards down the field. They score touchdowns 14 13. And from then, game on, Arkansas couldn't get it going. AM got just enough going. They did lose Aeneas, Aeneas Smith, who's one of their best players. The offense is still a major question for AM. But if you want to get into a defensive slugfest, AM is a team capable of winning those games. I think Arkansas is still pretty good. They're going to bounce back and be good. But that was a big win for AM. Yeah, big win. Uh, a little bit of a shocking win because it started off really sloppy for Texas A&M. And then all of a sudden, everybody started playing like 10 times better than what they played in like the first, second quarter. Like it was wild. Yeah, yeah. I, don't, I still don't trust the offense. Yeah, I, I don't I don't trust them. I think it, it's, just, uh, it's just crazy how it happened. And then, of course, the missed kick by Arkansas, which was like dead center of the freaking thing. And then let's not even forget what I speaking of kickers, Missouri's 500 pound kicker oh goes out there and misses the like easiest kick after going like seven for seven from 50 yards out. And and Eli Drinkwitz got a lot of flack for taking two knees at the end of that game when they could have tried to score a touchdown. 
but I'm sorry. When you're inside the 10 yard line, you got to make the field goal. It literally goal. slipped through the guy's fingers to get yeah. the touchdown too. Cause he oh, could have just gone other, out. That's the other thing I was going to say is they also lost. So I think it's the tough. So you are on the other, excuse me. You were on the losing end of the kick six. Yeah. So the kick six is probably one of the most painful losses in the history of college football in the sec. It's an arch rival that knocks you out of the division championship, the sec championship and the national title game. Right. On a, on a, field goal that's trying to win the game it's as brutal a loss as it can get i think missing a chip shot field goal from inside the 10 yard line and then in overtime basically running the play that won the game but reaching out to the goal line and fumbling it on the yeah because he, fl he flipped it over to his other hand too to get to over reach there it over just, the goal oh. line and all he had to do was like dive into the end zone and he would have scored and won the game so the combination of the missed field goal at the end of regulation from like 11 yards yeah combined with fumbling the ball into the end zone, which Tennessee fans know all about when it mm -hmm. comes to the Georgia game a couple years ago. I think, I think that is one of the most painful and difficult ways to ever lose a football game I'd have ever seen. And it would have saved. I don't think Eli's in any trouble to be of being fired, but Eli Drinkwitz would have been guaranteed a fourth year. Well, it would have let Brian game. go and Brian, home and enjoy yes. his uh, family and BRYN would have, yeah, would have, probably been fired now he's gonna get fired this week when they play lsu at home i said lsu was an underdog they're not they're gonna be an underdog to tennessee they're playing auburn this week i got i got my point spreads confused so i apologize about that um but uh, auburn i don't know what they're again i don't know what they're waiting for uh that was an ugly that was have you seen the drive chart in this, after it was 14 14 yeah, yeah. oh I, I listen i punt, watched that punt, whole fucking punt, game punt, 11 punt, punts punt, i think it maybe even more punt, punt punt like Turnover on downs, missed field goal. That I tweeted it was one of the worst football games Ugh. that I've seen in recent memory. And then the Niners and Broncos played a game. Yeah. <laughs> Which was also one of the worst football games I've ever seen. Um, a lot of teams in the SEC. Actually, Kentucky struggled. Ole Miss kind of struggled. A lot of teams didn't cover in the SEC in, in games they should have won. Uh, again, Auburn, what are you waiting for? Move on your guy. I don't understand. Tennessee gets a week off. Alabama got, got healthy with, with Vanderbilt. Uh, is there anything else we're missing here? No, on, I think uh, we get, we hit it all. I think we got it all here, man. Um, all right. Make sure you check out the KC Group, buildkg.com. If you have any decisions about your house, they are the people to talk to. They will not steer you incorrectly. You've got to trust them, man. It's locally owned and operated for, I think, over a dozen years now, since like two, about the same time the pharmacy came around, 2011, uh, award-winning. Don't trust general contractors. Not all of them you can trust. You can trust the Kingston Group. Weiss Liquors, of course. They drive so you can drink. That's right. Uber Eats, Weiss Liquors, booze right to your house in as little as 20 minutes. Pop in the store right there on Gallatin. Again, almost 100 years of locally owned business in this market. And uh, just say 440 at the register and you'll get 10% off. And, of course, special thanks to our host here on Mondays, every single Monday, the Pharmacy Burger Parlor and Beer Garden. You Look did that. I got it right on the got first it. try. <laughs> They got all kinds of spectacular beers. They got bratwurst. They got tots. They got the, I'm telling you guys, no joke, the best Dijon horseradish mustard I've ever tasted in my entire life right here at the pharmacy, of course, in East Nashville on McFerrin Avenue. Come on by. One o'clock's on Mondays. We'll be here all, all year celebrating Victory Mondays from here on out. So make sure you do all of that. What about the pods this week? What about the YouTubes? What should people do? They should go to broadwaysportsmedia.com, get you an insider pass, because that's the only way you are going to see a lot of the articles and contents that we're doing. We got film reviews. Zach Attack. We got the Zach Attack, which is me <laughs> basically just going off on stuff. And we also have the Mike Herndon Show, which is a it's basically insiders only. That's worth the, the $5, less than $5 that you pay. Is worth it's worth that. There you go. Because all you got to pay is fifty dollars. You got to use code annual, and you get the whole year for forty nine ninety nine. On the football and other f words, Mike Herndon's back. Yeah, Mike Herndon is back. Right. You have him, who is me and him. It's going to be less like the Mike Herndon show, which is a lot about the X's and O's. You remember those film articles Mike used to write all Most the time that he's known for? It's a lot of you yelling. Yeah. No, that's on the all the fit you, you mixed up with who I was talking oh, about. Oh, sorry, sorry. So the Mike Herndon show is all about the stuff that you used to get at Music City Miracles at Broadway Sports Media that made Mike famous. He changed his Twitter account. Yeah. What's I, that about? I, I refuse to. Talk what is about that about? That. Not going to worry about it. And because he, I will never get that right. I will never get that right. And I told him, I told move. him already. Good luck getting me to remember that because that's not going to happen. Can we just leave it on all the on all the promo stuff? Yeah. Can we just leave it as at my? Oh, yeah, I'm not changing anything. <laughs> and uh, but on Wednesdays on football and other f words, it is basically 
me and Mike just screaming at each other, the Titans, <laughs> everything. Sounds like I got it exactly right. <laughs> yeah, but I was actually talking about the Mike Herndon show when you interjected. No, you brought up F words. No, we'll, you go back to the tape. You'll see the tape. You'll see that you're wrong. <laughs> Turn on. Here's what I would ask. And here's go to the notifications. Broadway Sports Media YouTube. Go to the YouTube at 440 Sports. Go to the Facebook at uh, Broadway Sports Media. Go to the Facebook at 440 Sports. Turn on your notifications because that's how you're going to get all the content because our podcast is also in video form if you're listening to audio form. And that goes for both a football show and football and other efforts. I would have one request of everybody out there that consumes the content that Zach produces, that I produced, that 440 produces, and that Broadway produces. Just tell one person. Yep. Share the product with one person. That is how we grow this. We are a locally owned companies, supported by locally owned companies in Nashville, talking about Nashville content with Nashville sports fans about the things that you care about and love with no empty calories, no corporate overlords. This is as authentic content as you will get anywhere on the internet. So just share, share it with somebody. Yeah. Tell somebody about the pharmacy, about Weiss Liquors, about Kingston Group, about the shows you watch and you consume and you love. And we appreciate all your feedback and your comments. Thank you guys for hanging out and watching. For Zach, I'm Braden. Congratulations to all the Tennessee teams on a big weekend. This has been a football show.